I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woo! Woo! My girls survived the uh, the uh, weather. I'm very yes. happy. Yes, we, this is, we had some scary tornadoes that literally were aimed right at me and Lori. I know. I was watching, and then my CEO's daughter lives in Memphis, and he was in the office yesterday, so I was leaving. I was like, please tell your daughter to stay inside. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how long she's been in Memphis and how familiar she is with the weather, but please tell her to stay inside. And see, that's the great thing is Memphis usually misses a lot of tornadic activity, which is the truth. Because of the night. bluff. Yeah. Because of the bluff. Yeah. And then, you know, DeSoto County, it's like it's, it's, it's like, like oh, it goes we get Memphis. We'll it get goes south. Place. It goes north. So yep. and that's um, what happened last night. Yeah. And for those of you not from the region, one of Memphis's nicknames is Bluff City because it is on a bluff. Yep. Yep. My so. grandmother's neighborhood in Kansas City was she was from northeast Kansas City and it was also on a bluff. So when oh. the river flooded, they didn't get any. Nice. Well, and it's usually um like when the storms so honestly, I don't think they were as strong as they were when they were in Arkansas, because Arkansas y'all just yes, got my home yeah, well, close to my hometown of Wynn, um, I have a lot of people that lived there growing up and stuff. So thoughts with them because that sucked i haven't heard yet about like, like harrisburg, harrisburg yeah. proper or and yes this is a town in arkansas wiener um <laughs> i didn't name it don't look at me um i do own a street sign that says wiener cutoff that i may, yes. or may not have stolen when i was in high school of course you um, did. if you are an arkansas law enforcement the statute of limitations is up get off my dick um <laughs> Literally, <laughs> literally get off my dick. wiener, <laughs> get off my wiener. Um, so yeah, that whole region and little rock. So I hate Arkansas, but thoughts and prayers for those yes. folks. Well, and that's what I was telling the girls earlier is, um, in one of our first episodes, I talked about lock and Var, a old haunted plantation back in my home County of Pontotoc in North Mississippi. And it was destroyed. Well, mostly destroyed in a tornado in 2001 and the tornado that came through Pontotoc last night hit in that exact same it went through the same path I think Lock and Var is fine but like it it hit a little more south but it's generally speaking almost that exact same path like they said the intersection of 41 and 15 was messed up and I'm like mm. God, it, it, we literally have a tornado <laughs> memorial right there at that intersection that tornado was like I bet yeah exactly <laughs> it was like oh I didn't finish the job last time even though I killed five people this time it only took out one well, literally like where I grew up in Arkansas, like we were, we were on the outskirts. We were in the boonies. We were again close to the wiener cutoff. Um, <laughs> and every hurricane, or hurricane, Jesus, I was on the coast too long. Um, every tornado, Jack, please don't step on the keyboard. Um, <laughs> went like right through that. I mean, we would like watch them and be like, "How far away do we think that is?" Oh, it's going the other way. We're good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like. I mean, that was just when you live in tornado prone areas, you're just like, yep. mm, do we run or are we good? Okay, we're good. I know. <laughs> yeah. Last night was Mona McDuff's first official. Okay. I'm scared enough to get in the bathroom. I told you guys during my high school graduation, we <sighs> had a tornado, right? Uh-uh. Yeah. High school graduation. 
we're all in the gym because it was supposed to be raining that day. We're in the gymnasium doing our doing our thing, and the sirens start going off, and we're like, well, "Great we're in the gym, let's just finish." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, we finished how Arkansas up. of you I, exactly. It was <laughs> extremely Arkansas. So, and by the time we got home from the ceremony, like a tree was down in our yard. We were like, all right, mom's like, are you still going out? I'm like, yeah, I'm still going out. (laughs) And then the next year they had another tornado during graduation and that actually like caused some damage. So that one, they actually like stopped graduation in the middle and had everyone huddle. But yeah, (laughs) yeah. So when the sirens and shit were going off here in Chicago last night, I was like, I'm going to sleep like a baby. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to for sure. But we had three rounds of tornado warnings last night. And my phone kept making that god awful noise, but I had all three cats. So I was I was like, we're good. (laughs) Yeah, we had three rounds in DeSoto County at least and then it didn't hit like all of my friends in North Mississippi till about one or two in the morning so I'll wake up at one or two in the morning to like five million text messages from people mm-hmm. and I'm like are y'all all okay y'all are just texting me in the middle of a tornado to be like and I like how like they were like just then being like hey are you okay dude <laughs> if I was blown away that would have been like four hours ago right yeah but anyway I'm, I'm not complaining because they love me and I love them it's just funny Jack. anyway um, a few before we jump into the story notes, I wanted to give a shout out to our youngest listeners. Can you <laughs> believe we have very young listeners? God bless them and bless their mamas. Um, Do not out. repeat anything you hear me say. Yeah. In yeah, school. They, they know. They know. Yeah. In school. At home, it's fine. And please right. do it in the right context. If you um, want to talk about diamond level <laughs> pussy in your home, please do. But maybe not in second grade. No, yeah. no, no. Um, so our listener, Lindsay, who came to my last cemetery walk, uh, she came to the one that I had this past week at Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis. She bought her daughter, Luella, who is absolutely adorable. That is the cutest name ever, too. And and Lindsay is married to a man named Thor. And they <laughs> have a son named Thor. And I'd they are it. coming to my true crime tour in April. And she's like, you're going to get to meet a, a real life Thor. And I'm like, I'm thrilled. Cannot All wait. the Thors I've ever met have been dogs. <laughs> like well, literal well, dogs? Are, or yes. Or like-, like everyone up here names their huskies, either Thor or Odin. <laughs> those are great names for dogs though I will say. <laughs> it really is i like i like those names for the it, it'd be funny if someone had a tiny little chihuahua and they named it thor like there has something. been some chihuahuas i've seen named some very aggressive names and i did love it yeah well, you know yeah. bruiser or something yes but yeah luella was my um walking buddy she um helped me uh give my little speeches when i stopped to give very brief little talks um and then shout out to valerie valerie is nine luella's four by the way (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, valerie is the daughter of a friend of mine that i now work for we will get to that in just a second but uh she and her mom have been they just started listening they started from the beginning so i don't know when they will hear this um, but her mom, Megan said that she is not allowed to listen to the podcast until Valerie gets out of school. And then once they get out of school, they listen to us. So I'm like, oh, that's adorable. Future gremlin and training. Heck yeah. Well, Megan's raising a ride. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. and speaking of that, 
Megan is my boss at Backbeat Tours. I have a new part-time job. Um, I just started officially this week with Backbeat Tours in Memphis. That is a tour company that offers all kinds of wonderful tours of the city of Memphis. Literally, they cover everything from ghost tours to music tours to just good old history tours. Um, they do specific tours depending on kind of like time of year. Like I know last year they did a big event for Women's History Month. Um, so they're always uh, doing cool and new things, but I'm their new, one of their many new ghost tour guides. So if you want to learn about ghosts in Memphis, and yes, we do go into Ernestine and Hazel's, which I talked about on an earlier episode, uh, come hang out with me. I will mostly be a guide on Monday nights, eight to nine, no, eight to 10 PM. Um, but I'm going to be doing tours throughout the week too, just as they need me or whatever. Um, but I know for sure I'm on Monday, at least through the month of April. So, Hey, um, come join me there. Backbeat tours. Um, you can find all their details online. Just Google backbeat tours. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, so I'm really excited. I've been sort of keeping that close to the vest because I've been training for the last month and trying to learn the stories and trying to work on my delivery and all that good stuff. And I didn't want to say anything until I've like already given my first tour and I did the other night and it was great. So I'm like, okay, now that I feel like, oh, I can do this now. I feel like, okay, I can talk about it. (laughs) I love Um, it. And I do have true crime tours coming up in April and May at Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis. I have one tour on the 22nd of April. I have no idea how these are selling. I don't know if they're even close to sold out or not at all. Maybe no one's bought a ticket, but Hannah and Thor, Hannah, and Thor, <laughs> Lindsay and Thor. Um, uh, and the other true crime tour is May 27th. I'm saying that by looking at my calendar and neither one of those dates are marked on my calendar as a tour. I'm just saying it off the top of my head and I'm hoping. Oh, right. Look at you. <laughs> I really don't know. Gina um, will post all of it on the socials. Yeah, yes. I might. If I think about it, <laughs> I will remind you. I hope you do. Cause I will forget. Um, and I Lori hope- as the resident Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> organized Virgo yes. over here. Um, and I hope too that y'all have uh, donated to our friend Stacy's uh, Kickstarter for her Oracle deck. This episode, 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 episode. I still need some coffee. Look, I was up late last night. <laughs> uh, uh, the Kickstarter goes through April 6th, and this episode comes out, I think, on the 3rd of April. So yeah. you have a few more days to back that if you want her amazing Oracle deck. Um, I've already pledged. And I cannot wait to get my claws on this deck. It is going to be beautiful. And thanks again to Stacy for sitting down with us uh, for that talk last week. That was awesome. So. All right, ladies, anything else? I think we're good. All right. We're going to jump into this week's topic. You get to hear me talk some more. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So our topic this week is the Titanic because we're coming up on the whatever if anniversary of it i don't know uh, i can't do math one 111 is that right hang on oh hannah's got us i'm looking hang on because i i can't do math y'all i'm i'm not a math girl <laughs> i'm gonna say 111 two plus two is six to me so <laughs> i mean that's that's literally how well i do hang math on. what was the fucking date of this thing 1912 hannah 
Okay, yes. 111th. Okay. Woo! Finally, Lori, Lori gets, gets a cookie. Yes. <laughs> Literally, I have cookies in here with me in case I have oh. a sugar sugar drop. I well, don't do, yeah, I don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. I have snacks in my closet. <laughs> closet snacks. Heck yeah. It's going to be my um, drag name. <laughs> Amen. All right. All right. So yeah, the Titanic, um, and I'm sure most of you know about the Titanic. So what I'm about to tell you, you probably know, unless you are young, like maybe Valerie or Luella. <laughs> Some Zoomers don't know about the Titanic. I learned that on TikTok and I was like, oh, what? shit. Oh, and there are some people who believe the Titanic didn't really sink. They yes, I remember that. Sank. It was an like, um, insurance scam. I'm like, not Can everything not? is an insurance cam- scam. A lot of things are, but not this. I don't think. No. I'm sorry. And if it is, I'm going to be really ticked off. Like when I get up to heaven and, and God tells me that, I'm going to be like, dude, seriously. That, that, there is no way. There is no way. As as the resident weirdo who loves everything sad and depressing i love the titanic and i don't know why anyway okay so the titanic sank april uh 14th through the 15th um 1912 so it started just before midnight on the 14th going into the 15th about 2224 people were on board when it struck an iceberg and began to sink it was going from the uk over to canada um and there were i mean if you've seen the movie titanic you know wasn't it going to new york it might have been going to new york i don't know i think it was going to new york i didn't write that part down i should have um (laughs) there were all kinds of people on the ship from literally your almost your richest people in the world like i think john astor was supposed to be on there and he didn't go and he was the world's richest person at the Um, time no or he was on there yeah he died yes I talk about him a little, so. Okay, good. Okay, I yeah. couldn't remember. John, John Astor the Fourth, I think. Yes, yes. There were, I read about a lot of rich people mm-hmm. that were supposed to be on there and then for whatever reason didn't get on. I mean, it's like the 9-11 thing where it's like tons much. of people were supposed to be on planes that day and, yeah. and weren't. Well, and yeah. what was so fascinating to me as I was looking through people is that people were supposed to be on another ship or another thing, but because yeah. there was a coal strike... They yeah, had to get yeah. on the Titanic or th- there were so many stories I saw that were related to there being a cold yeah. strike and Titanic was the only option. Well, and the crazy thing too is, is, and I mean, there are all types of fo- folks on the ship. So you have your rich folks, you have your sort of uh, in between folks and you have your very poor folks. Some people weren't traveling on this ship just for funsies. Some people were trying to get home or for work yeah for, or for there's whatever a few reason. in mind that are like you know this was business a business trip you know yeah. now how you fly to london you know for yeah. business and come back well people who are not me do that um <laughs> you know this Same. was just how they got from one place to another yeah and the titanic was a luxury liner it was the finest ship ever made it was claimed uh that the makers said it was unsinkable never call something well, unsinkable what did we learn from the Iroquois theater where they said it was unburnable don't fucking do that shit bam exactly fate goes i bet yes it, mm-hmm. yes it does and i mean when you hear about all of the luxury stuff on board you're like wow that must have been really nice yeah if you were rich yeah anyway it did take, once it hit the iceberg, it took two hours and 40 minutes to sink. That is also the length of the movie Titanic because James Cameron is weird. 
He um, is such a, ooh, anyway, such a weirdo. Weird. Oh. Uh, more than 1,500 people died. It was one of the worst peacetime maritime disasters in history. Um, most of the people died because they didn't have enough lifeboats. And then they said only women and children. And so a lot of men died, but then also too, like a lot they of were underfilling. Folks. Yeah. They were under, yeah, they were underfilling the, the boats. The poor the movies worth the two hours and 40 minutes. Oh, I absolutely. enjoyed the movie. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, the, the, embellishments aside it is a beautifully done and as much as it I is. hate James Cameron I hate James Cameron um, yes I mean he's but right up he there with Tom Cruise that movie yes. I mean even I mean, if you, pull up a chair children you had to rent it on two VHS yes and, and you would, stopped in the middle we would watch the second VHS tape with my dad because he didn't care about the stupid love story he wanted to watch that ship sink because it was so realistic it was it amazing is. and you could just see Kate that. Winslet's titties <laughs> which are yeah. phenomenal my favorite my favorite part is where the guy is falling and he hits the, the propeller propeller <gasps> I, that's my favorite part and he just goes boing so hard every time and then there's the scene and no one has called this out and I have like I, it took me on like my third viewing to catch it. But if you watch the movie Elvis that came out last year, there's a scene in the Russwood uh, concert scene where a drummer is falling off the stage and it's the exact same propeller scene. Like it's this guy like slowly just derpy falling. And it's like my favorite thing ever. And like I said, I saw the movie three times in theaters. Because I did too. Sheena is a, well, I didn't see Titanic three times. I saw Elvis three times. Oh, because- yeah. My Elvis connection, Graceland, I had friends that wanted to go three separate times, yes. Um, and it did I, not till the third time did I notice that guy. And I was like, that's my new propeller guy. And no one talks <laughs> about him. Anyway, so yes, the Titanic was really a terrible disaster. Um, and, and, and so many people did die. And there are so many stories of people being very heroic. And there's also a lot of stories of people being jerks about it because, mm-hmm. you know, they were rich men and they wanted on a lifeboat. And the various, don't even get me started on the pets that were lost on the Titanic. I I, I Googled that and I'm like, we're not going into that. She, no, uh, let's, let's not. Let's I don't went, do that to I, me. I learned about a cat that died on the Titanic and I'm like, I'm never letting no. the cat go ever again. Anyway, and also, even though he's a villain, Billy Zane is fucking hot. In that isn't movie. he though? He is oh. so handsome. Like part of me is like Kate Winslet. Why can't Girl, you date him what? both at the same time? I mean, I know he's an abusive dick, but oh yeah, that's damn, right. he smacks her, Sheena. I know. And then he like seen it. Like takes somebody else's baby and pretends it's every. I mean, no, he did. That's right. Yes. Don't date him, Kate Winslet. But, but God, at least he's hot. That baby got saved. That's all I can exactly. Little baby exactly. got saved. It's been forever since I've seen it. I really have not watched it. Probably since I was a teenager. I guess. Me either. Um, I just well look after this. I'm gonna watch everything, everywhere, all at once, and then I'm gonna find Titanic streaming. I love everything, everywhere. I'm told I'm gonna cry, so I'm getting yeah, ready. Okay. Probably, probably. I love it. Um, and then anyway, back to that Titanic. <laughs> I swear, y'all, we really have, we have ADHD. <laughs> yes, we do. And my coffee is not kicking in, and my yes, coffee mine is nowhere near as strong either. as my Ritalin. This um, is what happens when we record in the morning. Exactly. I know. Well, we could have last night, but we would have literally had to do it from our bathrooms and closets. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but yeah, and also, do we even want to get into the debate of could he fit on the door? 
Uh, oh god we're not getting into it didn't james cameron do this like like do because he's so extra he did an experiment i think he did and let me tell you gotten on the one girl i went to high school with jennifer wherever you are jennifer i hope you're doing well um she was so mad about it. She was so pissed. She actually brought in a pole floaty to no. show how you, because if you have more than one person on a pole floaty, there's a way you have to do it. She was mad. She was incensed about that. I, I still argue. I mean, I don't think either one of them would have survived if they were both on there because no, it was so frigid. Yeah. It was frigid. Stop. It was like up north where there are icebergs, obviously. So you know, right. it's frigid. So people who didn't go down with the sinking, they may have tried to hold on to something like a door and then they Well, died. and they see in the movie that they freeze to death holding on to shit. So Yeah. Anyway, okay, so <laughs> I was very interested it. in where the people who um they they were able to rescue some bodies from the water, not all of them. As I said, more than 1,500 people died, but um, they didn't, they were not able to get all of the bodies. Fairview Lawn Cemetery in Halifax, Nova Scotia has the most Titanic dead, which is 121. And then you have a, another 29 people buried at nearby cemeteries. And then you have people like some of the folks we're going to talk about that survived the Titanic and they're just buried wherever they're buried. Um, and then there are a lot of memorials to the Titanic, um, more than I thought there were. Um, there are Titanic memorials, of course, in Canada, the United States, and Australia. Um, and then there are a lot of them in England because so much of the crew and so much of we're the passengers British. were British. Um, so the final Titanic survivor died May 2019. That Damn. was Milavina Dean. She was the youngest passenger on board. She was just two months old. And she was the last remaining survivor. She was 97 when she passed. So wow. she had no memories of what happened. That's probably Bless her the heart. Best. Yeah. I know. All right. So I'm going to go first and I'm going to talk about a really cool lady. So strap in to your favorite door and let's go. <laughs> so, picture it. October 5th, 1858. Helen Churchill Hungerford was born, and a lot of things tried to sink Helen, an abusive marriage, the Titanic, wars, but she rose above it all to enjoy an incredible life of writing and traveling. When she passed away 90 years later, she would re be remembered not just as a Titanic survivor, but also as a journalist, author, geographer, interior decorator, and feminist. Ooh. When I say this lady filled her 90 years, buddy, she filled her 90 years. So this Libra baby was born in uh, New York City uh, to a merchant named Henry and his wife, Mary Elizabeth. The Hungerfords raised their family in Connecticut. She had a brother, too. Um, and Helen enjoyed, as far as I can tell, a nice, very quiet, very nice upbringing. They had the money. They were educated well. Um, and they just enjoyed a nice, quiet, peaceful, you know, Upbringing love that in Connecticut. For them. Yeah, I love that for them. Must be nice. Now, in um, in eighteen eighty, when Helen was twenty two, she married Edward Willis Candy. And when I say Candy, it's not like C A N D Y. It's C A N D E E. Ooh, which is kind of adorable. Um, and they had two children together, Edith and Harold. However, Edward 
was a piece of crap. He was abusive. Shocked. Oh, man. Especially back then. Uh, She did her best to distance herself and the kids from him because he was abusing the children as well. And um, it was really difficult for a woman to get a divorce in those days. You know, Mm. it's like women have to practically have an act of God for anyone to listen to them. No fault divorce wasn't a thing till what, the 70s? I think so. Um, She eventually moved out to Oklahoma because then Oklahoma was just a territory. It wasn't a state and you could get a divorce easier there. So she moved out there. They were separated for a long time and she was basically finally able to get a divorce in 1896. Took a while, but she made it happen. And another problem too was that divorces were seen as, of course, um, you know, like a bad reputation type thing for women. Like, oh, you're divorced, like taboo, oh, yeah. you know, as doesn't mean anything today. But back then it was like, oh, you're rotten goods, basically. Um, however, Helen was not going to let this bring her down. She supported herself and her kiddos by writing for magazines like Ladies Home Journal and Scribners. Oh. She initially wrote about topics she knew a lot about, like etiquette and household management. But then she branched out to topics like women's rights and childcare and education. She also wrote fiction for traditional women's magazines like Good Housekeeping, Harper's Bazaar, and Woman's Home Companion. I'm always shocked at how long some of these magazines have been around. Harper's, like, Cosmo used to be, like, a super serious... Yeah. Harper's, and what was my other one I mentioned? Ladies' Home Journal. Ladies' Home Journal. Yeah, I was like, wow, that's been around for a lot longer than (laughs) I thought. And Good Housekeeping. Anyway. Hey, I love Good Housekeeping. I ain't even I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it. So, her first book was uh published in 1900 it was called how women may earn a living because women were not making a living you pretty well had to be married unless you were just you know poor and you really had to work so this is really kind of for more i guess upscale ladies but still either way it was a bestseller her second book was called an oklahoma romance and it was published the next year and it was about a it was a novel and it kind of talked about how Oklahoma had a lot of possibility and promise to it. Um, and I think it was a love story too, obviously, but either way. So by this time, early 1900s, she's an established literary figure. She and her family moved to Washington, D.C. And that's where she decided to become one of the first professional interior decorators. Her clients included President Theodore Roosevelt and Secretary of War Henry Stimson. And then in 1906, she published a book called The Decorative Styles and Periods, in which she laid out her principles of design. Um, Her whole thing was she wanted, if you were going to decorate a room and it was going to have like pieces from a certain time period, she wanted it to be as accurate as possible. So she did a lot of careful historical research and she wanted absolute authenticity. She hated cheap imitation furniture. Like if it was made in 1900, but it was supposed to look like it was made in like 1812. She's like, no, no, no. I love Helen. From 1812. Yeah. She's, she's a picky lady. And I like that about Helen sees your faux antiques and is judging you accordingly. Yes, deeply, deeply. Let me just say, very much so. Now, she didn't do this for the general public. She was mostly a private consultant, and she really enjoyed working on this. This was really a cool project for her. 
Um, and then while she was in D.C., she enjoyed the social scene. Uh, she was a member of the Democratic Party and served on a lot of civic boards. Her friends ran the political gamut. Um, some of her best friends were the ultra-conservative first lady, Helen Heron Taft, and the super-liberal William Jennings Bryan. Like, she was just friends with everybody. I'm like, I don't know how you can be friends with someone who doesn't believe in people having rights. But, you know, that's not for me to judge, I guess. Right. Um, she was close friends with President William Taft and his wife, as I just said, as well as President Theodore Roosevelt and his wife, Edith. Um, she was also a trustee for the Cochrane Gallery of Art. So she was big on art, big on any kind of like civic stuff. She was just, I don't know. I think she was a cool lady. As her design work continued, she wrote about art, design, and culture for magazines like American Homes and the American Magazine of Art and the International Studio. She also penned uh, political and literary pieces for journals like the Atlantic Monthly, The Century, and The Forum. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying them like that. Anyway, she wrote eight books total. Four were about the decorative arts. Two were travelogues. We'll get to those in a bit. One was instructional and another was a novel. Her biggest seller was the tapestry book, a historical book about tapestry. It talked about the history of tapestries and all this and big book and it was wildly successful it was published in 1912 but later in 1912 so what else happened in 1912 hmm, maybe this giant ship sank so let's talk about the titanic so helen was traveling in europe uh researching um tapestries for the tapestry book when she received an elegram an elegram a telegram <laughs> from her daughter edith that her brother um harold her, her son, uh, Helen's son, was injured in a car accident. Helen was in Paris at the time. So she was like, okay, get me home the fastest way possible. And uh, they were like, well, the, the fastest way possible is this new luxury liner called the Titanic. And she's like, okay, fine. Yeah, put me on that. I don't care. Just get me home. Not the best move, I guess. Oh, so because uh, Helen was very rich uh she was a first class passenger she spent her time on the ship with other prominent passengers like um president taft's military aide major archibald butt which is <laughs> my favorite name archie Butt. 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 i mean literally his last name last name is spelled b-u-t-t -T. archie oh, oh i love I it almost covered him for the name alone but i i did not but I wonder if I he had a kid did. named Seymour. <laughs> I don't know, but he should have. Um, she was also friends with another Archibald, Archibald Gracie the Fourth, who was an Alabama native, who was a writer, historian, and real estate investor, and painter Francis uh, Davis Millay. I hope I'm saying that right. Yes. Um, so yeah, all the fancy people she was friends with, of course. Now, when the ship began sinking, Helen went to board a lifeboat. Uh, she was told she could not bring any luggage or personal items with her. I like to think that what she had in her hands, she could have brought with her. But apparently, those people who were boarding up the lifeboats on the Titanic thought otherwise. Her most treasured possession was an ivory cameo miniature of her mother. Oh. And she had a flask of brandy, and the flask had her family crest on it. Oh, you need the flask of brandy. I mean, That's just, what I thought. I'm like, the brandy would keep you warm warm 
And did so the dress like, not have pockets? Probably you, not. Back in those days, you know, men don't want us to carry things it. around. Man, just shove likely, it in your titties. Exactly. I thought that too. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> if you'd gone to Old Miss, you would know where to put that flask as a lady. <laughs> You As stick lady. that up your hoo-ha yes, and you, you keep it moving. <laughs> I never did, but I know lots no. of people who uh, yes, strap, it to your inner, strap it to your inner thigh. Yes, just saying, listen, old Miss All those petticoats, shove All something those in there. That's what I was thinking. Anyway, so she gave the flask and the cameo miniature to her friend, hmm, uh, architect Edward Austin Kent. Now, unfortunately, Edward died in the sinking of the Titanic, but they did find his remains and those items were still in his pocket. And we will get to that in a little bit. So Helen boarded lifeboat, lifeboat six, but as she was trying to get into the lifeboat, she fell and fractured her ankle in the process. So there she is with a broken ankle, Margaret Brown, AKA the unsinkable Molly Brown. I know we've heard of her. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was also on this lifeboat. And of course, between Helen and Molly Brown, uh, they were ready to get things going. So they're like, let's get the fuck out of here. That's exactly what they thought. And so they, um, manned the oars of the lifeboat which i would think doing that kind of motion just would hurt your ankle just because any broken bone is going to hurt no matter where it is but whatever um and this uh lifeboat also featured frederick fleet the man who first saw the iceberg to begin with um not sure how he got on there but i'm I also not going to they probably him. had a man to row on each is my guess I don't know, because they were turning away men left, right, and center. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, well, good for Frederick. I think he deserved to get on there. Even I if, think so, too. He tried to warn he people. Man, he tried to warn. Um, <laughs> how many wasn't. of us can see him from the movie Titanic, the guy that played him? Oh, you good. Dead ahead. Yep. If you hear growling, it is because Gwen is trying to get on my chest with Jack yes, on is. my lap. And yes. Stay tuned. <laughs> I'm saying Gwen is making her move. She is. I <laughs> respect like, it, it. You need that sound. I'm just gonna scoot for that ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Scoot right in here. Yes. She's like, now I was here first, bitch. Exactly. Right. Now okay. I will say, and this is okay. <laughs> yeah, the cats just tried to attack each other. Drama. <laughs> Catitude. Oh, I, I can hear her. I can hear her. You can see. Do not edit any Gwen's of this eyes. out. <laughs> <laughs> you can see the fury in okay, Gwen's Jack, eyes. Okay, Jack, Jack, you go. He okay, learned his place. He you, learned you his chill. place. Okay. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So... In researching this, what I thought was really scary was I was going through the order in which the lifeboats were taking off. This lifeboat went off or, I mean, launched, whatever, an hour and a half after the ship began sinking. Like, that's a long time to be terrified on the Titanic. Um, But they did end up going. They rode over to the Carpathia. They were picked up. It's all good. So they survived yet. So after she was rescued, Helen gave a short interview about her Titanic experience to the Washington Herald. And then she wrote a detailed article about the disaster for Collier's Weekly. And this became one of the first in-depth eyewitness accounts of the sinking published in a major magazine. We will, I'm going to read a a little part from that toward the end. Um, In that article, she did mention, uh, or she didn't mention because she didn't name anyone by name. It's like a first person account, but she doesn't. 
name the people she partied with. It's kind of like done in this kind of classy way, but she hints at a romance she had Ooh. aboard the Titanic Ooh. and she never named the passenger, as I said, but some people believe it was either Edward Kent, who she gave the stuff to, or it was London investor, investor, Hugh Woolner. Um, I think Hugh was a little more attentive to her during the ship, like the, during the voyage. But then Edward was there at the end. I don't know where he was. I'm going to go um, with Kent. I think so too. He you don't her. hand over family heirlooms to just any Tom, Dick, or Harry. Also, I thought it was kind of crazy to give him stuff when if they're not letting men on why are you giving him this stuff for it to sink to the bottom of the ocean maybe she thought he would get on one of the later boats maybe so i don't know i, I shouldn't judge her i guess because god knows what i would do when there's oh i would be tripping my shit i would be dying i would just be you know i'd be holding mcduff and crying <laughs> um much like last night in the bathroom <laughs> during the tornado <laughs> wasn't in tears just yet but i was close either way so by the time the Titanic sank in 1912, Helen's in her early 50s. Uh, do y'all think she's ready to slow down? Absolutely no. not. No. Helen's like, my life is just getting started. Damn so right, she Helen. continues to do this amazing stuff that I'm like, you are living this life of dreams in the 1900s that I could never live in the 2020s, but whatever. So she did have to walk with a cane. Uh, for a year following the Titanic sinking because she did break that ankle. But the tapestry book came out later that year and it was a huge success. And that was just a big, you know, obviously after what happened with the Titanic, this just really helped her spirits. And then in 1913, the day before Woodrow Wilson's inauguration, she and other female es equestrians, yeah. equestrians, Horse, horse folk? That's horse what folk, but the way this is spelled, it's like women horse folk. Equestrians. Inns, oh, yes. Okay. It's like got two ends in it. It's very fancy. I was going to ask, I was like, Lori. That's how they you? feminize certain Yeah, nouns. exactly. And I'm like, Lori, are you an equestrian? I guess like, I just am. The way, it, the way they Equestrian matrix. Yeah. <laughs> that too. Um, she and other ladies on horseback. Rode in a Votes for Women parade down <gasps> Pennsylvania Avenue in D.C. Great. She, uh, her horse was the, at the head of the procession. God damn, it was. Ended at the Capitol Hill steps. Behind Helen and the six other dignitaries on horseback were 10,000 women from across the country. So this was at the time one of the biggest congregations of women to march and protest and, act, you know, try to get some rights for us. I did read, too, that um, she was a big fan of horses and horse riding and that she was one of the first women to ride like, you know, like stride like you know not like a not like a lady you know oh okay um, she didn't do side saddle yeah 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 and she was everyone thought she was like ooh, so progressive her for that spreading her legs on a horse yes how dare she do that now a few years later world war one hits but of course she does not let that slow her down she goes over to italy which is a country she really loved and she worked as a nurse in rome and milan under the italian red cross which decorated her for her service Damn. one of her patients in milan was none other than ernest hemingway which is well cool, hell. i guess i mostly like the fact that he had six-toed cats wouldn't he the one that had six-toed cats yes hemingway yeah. cats 
that's mostly what I like about him. Anyway, following the war. He's not super likable. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's not. Um, I, like I said, I mostly like his cats. Um, some people, their pets are better than they are. Yep. Usually anyway. that's the case. Yeah, usually. Um, I know that's true with McDuff and me. <laughs> McDuff is the Shut star up. of the show. He's a good boy. Anyway, um, following the war, she traveled to Asia, specifically to Japan, China, Indonesia, and Cambodia. And she wrote two books about her adventures there. Angkor the Magnificent in 1924 and the New Journeys in Old Asia in 1927. She was honored by the French government and the King of Cambodia for these works. She was also commanded to give a reading of Angkor the Magnificent to King George and Queen Mary at Buckingham Palace. Hmm. Angkor was the first major English language study of the ruins that are near this ancient temple that I... Angkor what? How do you know about it? Um, because it was, it's haunted and it was featured on Destination Truth. Oh, see, I had to read, uh, in college first, they killed my father. Oh, um, yeah. Which she talks a lot about that. Okay. I had never heard of it. So I'm uncultured swan over here. Um, (laughs) Mine is from reality travel shows. So you're fine. (laughs) Um, I meant to Google it before we recorded and then there were tornadoes and I forgot all about it. Um, but it's called the Lost City or the Wonder City. It's considered one of the great man-made wonders of the world. And at the time, a lot of the Western world didn't really know much about these ruins until Helen's book, which apparently I'm still in the, the dark about it. So I need to read her book, apparently. Um, on her initial Southeast trip, she traveled with her son, Harold, who she called Harry, who survived that car wreck earlier. Oh, and a local, Yeah, a local. Well, don't get too excited. He oh, dies shit. early. God and I don't damn, know Harry. I, I know. He dies at the age of 38, and I couldn't Oof. find what happened. Um, I looked everywhere. That was what I researched, not the ancient <laughs> ruins. I'm like, why did he die at basically my age? I was like, right now. Anyway, she also traveled with a local guide and they were all uh, son, guide, Helen, all on an elephant named Effie. <laughs> I have a photo of this. And then on her lady, jur- lady journals, on lady her journals. later journeys she traveled with her friend lucille douglas who did uh (laughs) she was an illustrator and she illustrated the books so the tapestry book was her most lucrative book but angor the magnificent was her most acclaimed and during the um or after these travels she became a lecturer about southeast asia she continued to write uh she was the paris editor for arts and decoration magazine in the early 20s and she served on the editorial advisory staff for many years in 1925 yes she is still going y'all uh helen and eight other women founded the society for women geographers damn cool if you're that big into geography more power to you absolutely and as late as the 30s into her 80s helen was still traveling the world and writing articles for national geographic um her first two books about interior design were re-released in the late 30s so she got to see people get excited about these new versions of her books that were you know a little fancied up 
Um, and then she died at the age of 90 in 1949 at her Ooh. summer cottage in Maine. She is buried at the First Parish Cemetery in York Village, Maine. And when I looked that cemetery up, they had a decent amount of burials, but find a grave literally listed no one notable buried there. I'm like, oh, no shit. one, no one cool's buried here. Like, I think everyone is cool unless they were, you know, a bigot. But, you know, for the most find part. Find a grave is being shady. I know. Um, she was, I did see some stuff that said she was cremated, um, which is probably likely. Her stone is super simple. It just has her name, her years, and a cross. It, nothing to say, you know, journalist, feminist, fault for rights, Titanic survivor, none of that. That just um, blows my mind. It's. it's I know. Dangerous. She deserves a lot more, I think. I think she's yeah. a really cool lady. Um, she is still remembered for her Titanic survival story. A lot of the Titanic um, websites that are way more obsessed with the Titanic than I will ever be, um, just eat up everything she said about the Titanic. And of course, for her journalism, uh, Helen Candy was a supporting character in Daniel Steele's No Greater Love, which was based on the Titanic. And now I want to read that because that sounds 10 times more dramatic than James Cameron. Um, she was portrayed in a cameo in a documentary, Ghosts of the Abyss, about James Cameron's expedition to the wreck of the Titanic. The scene in which Helen's character was uh, featured recreated her visit to the bow of the ship on the evening before it sank, which is believed to have inspired the famous sunset love scene in Titanic, where Aww. she and, um, you know, Kate Winslet and Leo are... It's the big famous. You have you know seen them in memes. Oh, yeah. So in 2006, the items Helen gave to Edward on the Titanic went up for auction. Um, when they found these items, they somehow knew they were hers and they got them back to her. So she did own them for a while, but um, they did go up for auction. The cameo went for $80,000. The flask went for 40000 So lots Damn. of money. So I wanted to close this out with um, a little bit from her account of what happened that she wrote about in that magazine. It's, bless her heart, she writes, I mean, exactly like anyone would from 1912. It's kind of very melodramatic and overborn and just huge and, you know. But I like it, though. It's it's melodramatic. Anyway, her piece about the Titanic sinking is called Sealed Orders, and this is about the sinking of the Titanic. So strap in. It's kind of long, but I thought it was just, I did think it was very well written and it's very interesting. These are from her firsthand accounts. On the ship, the bravely competent still loaded boats with protesting women and wailing children. Take her from me. Take her, cried the men from who from whom wives refused to part, and it was done. In a corner against the cabin stood the aged couple, calmly resolute. Come into the boat, the rescuer said to her. I stay with my husband, she said simply. It was not the frantic protest of, of the younger women, but the firm will of a seasoned soul. And in death, these two were not divided. Hmm. Down on the sea, the little lifeboats were following the captain's orders to pull away from the ship in water as calm, full of star as full of stars as the pool as the pool in a Moorish garden. All awaited the end, transfixed. Window after window of the ship became dark as the water covered it in a slow descent. Less and less became the stern where the hus hushed crowd waited. At last, the end of the world. A smooth, slow shoot. Life went out on the big ship. 
The death call of 1,500 units of divine selflessness spread its volume over the waters as a single cry to God. There was no shriek, nor wail, nor frantic shout. Instead of the heavy moan as of one being from whom final agony forces a single sound. And with this human protest against stifling Arctic waters was a muffled sound from within, the groan of the dying ship, as if she too were sensate and joining her agony with man's. Oh, I yeah. like that. It's good. It's like I said, she did not mention names. So maybe that older couple you mentioned, that might have been the Strausses. The Strausses. Yeah. yeah. That were portrayed in the movie. So, yeah, it, it really, I, I liked her piece. It is very melodramatic, and she does talk a lot about hanging out with her friends. But when she's talking about, you know, these families being broken up. Yeah. Well, and that was just Edwardian period writing. That's true. How they rolled. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, just her talking about the kids crying and the ki- and the women didn't want to leave their husbands. The husbands were like, you have to go. Like, just, it, it made it a lot more human, I think, for me. You know, Okay, just, Lou, as the married person. You staying or you going? I'm not going to comment on this because I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I guess you don't know until you're there. I I would think that I would stay with him, but I also have two babies. Right. If it was, I I don't want my babies to be orphans. So if I'm the one that can go and my babies are with me, then. Yeah, I know. I I would have to. Um, I, I don't know how anyone would make that decision. Yeah, it's such a. Ugh. And there were a lot of kids that were orphaned by this mm-hmm. because oh, for sure. Leave. Um, I did see this. I almost told the story of the two orphans that they weren't sure who they belonged to for the longest time. Yeah. It was two little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then there are a lot of a lot of widows um, that came out of this. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting that Helen wasn't on the Titanic for funsies. She's trying to get home to her kid because her kid had been in a car accident, you know, just a mom mm-hmm. being a mom. Like, how do I get home? What's the fastest way? And they're like, oh, this new fancy fast ship that's unsinkable. And she's like, great. And it's like, no, not that's not going to do what you think it's going to do. Yeah. yeah. All right. Luhu, you're next. All right. So another person that wasn't on Titanic for pleasure cruise. Oh, my. Is who I'll be talking about today. So thanks to James Cameron. And as Sheena mentioned earlier, many of us know about the woman who would go on to be known as unsinkable Molly Brown, played by the delightful Kathy Bates in the film. Molly Brown love her. Definitely a force. But I think after the story I'm about to share with you today, we all agree that Violet Jessup (laughs) deserves that moniker. She she this this chick, she deserves it. So Violet Jessup was born in Argentina. She was the first of six children of Irish immigrants, William and Catherine Jessup. At some point in her childhood, she developed tuberculosis. And the doctors are like, okay, well, she's not going to live much longer. But apparently she beat it. I didn't think you could cure TB. But yeah, you know, maybe it was something else. And they just thought it was TB. Um, The family continued to live in Argentina. Her father... First started his career as a sheep farmer, and then he moved on up to a station master and fuel inspector before he died of cancer at age 41 in 1903. That's when her mother moved the family back to Britain and got a job as a stewardess for the Royal Mail Line ship. 
company. Violet was a devout Catholic and was actually in convent school when her mother's ill health led her to have to leave convent school and take a job with the Royal Mail Mail Line to support her mom and family because her mom was too sick to work. She eventually transitioned to the White Star Line, but apparently she wasn't super keen on having to sail uh, in the Northern Atlantic because the seas were rough and it was, you know, not known to be very pleasant. Uh, and she didn't want to deal with the the asshole first class passengers. Um, <laughs> no one wants to deal no. with those Karens. Yes. She was first assigned to the White Star aboard the Olympic, which was one of three sister ships that included the Britannic and Titanic, which she served on all three. Um, and they were launched by the company that offered, quote, unprecedented luxuries to wealthy passengers. Ooh. So she worked 17 hours a day and oh, was paid God. two pounds, 10 shillings per month. Um, couldn't figure out the exact conversion rate, but I would say that's probably roughly about 200 pounds in today's money. Yeah. Um, her role was very broad. She made beds, brought meals, cleaned bathrooms, ran errands, just basically was like a servant girl to the rich people. Yeah. She was aboard. The ship on September 20th, 1911, when it collided with the HMS Hawk, while both ships received significant damage, they did not sink and there were no deaths associated with the accident. So, you know, good, good on this one. Yeah. Um, Hold on a second. I lost my spot. Okay. She was happy with her role on the Olympics. She was comfortable, Uh, but her friends were like, you gotta, this new ship's coming. You gotta, you gotta try the Titanic. It's going to be awesome. And she finally was like, okay, I'll do it. She joined the crew and in her memoir, she spilled the tea on the uppity passengers she was forced to deal with on a regular basis. Ooh, did she? Yeah, she did. She was very discreet though. She only openly named a few and created like fake names and general personas for the others. So one of the uh, one couple that she openly named was American financier John Jacob Astor the fourth who had launched a scandal the year before when he married Madeline Force who was 30 years younger than him right and not long after his divorce was finalized from his first wife I think it like I read that Madeline was 18 yeah so just yeah maybe. yeah um and she wound up the the reason they were going back to America is because Madeline was pregnant and they wanted her to be the baby to be born in the U S Violet recalled quote, instead of the radiant woman of my imagination, I saw quiet, pale, sad face. In fact, dull young woman arrive listlessly on the arm of her husband in quote, which if she was pregnant, I can understand looking. I was about to say now pregnancy takes a lot out of a woman. So she may just, wasn't feeling great yeah so so i'll 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 give it that but that so john astor did not survive the sinking um but they his body was found um Mm -hmm. you know he was wearing a tailored suit with his initials so it was pretty easy to to figure out who he was uh but madeline was one of the 706 survivors um Violet also recalled another passenger who had like a ridiculous amount of uh bizarre needs including quote never-ending boxes of flowers presumably (laughs) thank you offerings to mark her departure (laughs) 
And then there was another lady who said the furniture in her suite was not good enough. And so all of these stewardesses were trying to replace the furniture in her her rooms with better furniture i'm like where are you gonna get better furniture out in the middle of the atlantic so fucking ridiculous yeah now violet and many of her crewmates were fond of thomas andrews who was the designer of the titanic and apparently he was the only person who listened to their requests for improved Mm -hmm. quarters she would later write quote Often during our rounds, we came upon our beloved designer going about unobtrusively with a tired face, but a satisfied air. He never failed to stop for a cheerful word. His only regret that we were getting further from home. We all knew the love he had for that Irish home of his and suspected that he longed to get back to the peace of its atmosphere for a much needed rest and to forget ship designing for a while, end quote. Um, So the night of the sinking, Violet was in her room getting ready for bed. She was reading a Hebrew prayer of protection against fire and water that had been given to her by an older Irish lady. Hmm. And she was kind of just laying in her bed ready to go to sleep when the Titanic collided with the iceberg. She quickly dressed and rushed to her assigned section of the ship. And she was basically just telling passengers, oh, this is just a precaution. You know, everything's going to be fine. You know, put on warm clothes, bring blankets. Um, And then she would later say, quote, of course, Titanic couldn't be sinking. She was so perfect. So new. Yeah. And she didn't truly realize they were in trouble until she was on the deck of the ship and noticed that the front was leaning toward the ocean. Like this is right before it breaks in half. She recalled, quote, for a fraction of a second, my heart stood still as is often the case when faith, hitherto unshaken faith, gets its first setback, end quote. So as the lifeboats were loaded, she was ordered into number 16 because there were female passengers who were not getting on the the boats, and Mm -hmm. she had to do it to show it was safe. And right as her boat was getting lowered, an officer dropped a baby in her lap and said, here, Violet, take this baby. Oh, man. Just random baby? Yeah, just a random baby. And she clutched that baby for eight hours until they were rescued by the Carpathia. Oh, man. She said, quote, I was still clutching the baby against my hardcore life belt I was wearing when a woman leaped at me and grabbed the baby and rushed off with it. It appeared that she had put it down on the deck of the Titanic while she went off to fetch something. And when she came back, the baby was gone. Mm. I was too frozen and numb to think it strange for this woman not to, to have stopped to say thank you, end quote. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I she's like, she's I'm like, taking my baby. Yes. So obviously you would think Violet was not eager to return to sea. Yeah. But she really didn't have any other choice. That was how she made her money. And at the breakout of World War One, she joined the crew of White Stars, now HMHS Britannic, which had been refitted as a hospital ship as a nurse. Then came November 21st, 1916. The ship was struck by a German mine in the Aegean Sea. (sighs) And when it happened, she was attending to a fellow nurse who had fallen ill. And so she was trying to get some clothes on the nurse to get her to the the lifeboats. And so something I came across that was really interesting, there's a podcast called Titanic Connections. And Hmm. they, I guess, re, you know, edited an interview she did at some, some point, I'm guessing probably in the 50s or 60s. Oh, wow. About her experience. It's a 30 minute interview. It's really hard to hear her talk. She has an accent and obviously the recording's not great. 
but so most of this next part is from that podcast. Okay. Um, she did make it into the lifeboat boat, but because the ship had tried to move to shallower waters, the propellers were spinning and like drawing in the lifeboats as so, so she had two options. She couldn't swim, but she's like, I can drown or I can get chopped to bits by these propellers. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to opt for drowning. And she jo- jumped over the side of the lifeboat. And unfortunately, yeah. she she knew that she was supposed to put her life jacket on as close to her body as possible and then put her jacket on over. But mm-hmm. she had a really nice jacket that had been a gift. And she's like, I don't want to do that. So she put the jacket on over the, li- the life vest on over her jacket. Right. And because of that, she sank oh, really fast oh, no. when she hit the water. She did come back up. But as she came back up, she hit her head on the ship's keel. Oh, no. And she said, quote, my brain shook like a solid body in a bottle of liquid. Oh, I bet. And so for the rest of her life, she was plagued by headaches from this injury and would later learn. Excuse me. I'm about to sneeze. (coughs) Okay. Excuse me. Oh, goodness. (laughs) Uh, She had had and she would later go to the doctor and find out that she had a fractured skull. oh wow yikes yeah that's wild and when she made it to the surface the first thing she remembers seeing is the decapitated head of a young soldier who had been killed by the propellers no that just stood out in her memory no Um, it reminded her of sheep heads from when she was a child so just very disturbing image Um, so she's just kind of bobbing there and she eventually heard another soldier in the water calling out to a nearby lifeboat for help and saying, look, there's a woman over here in the water, too. Uh, and the captain of that lifeboat was apparently a rather unpleasant fellow that nobody liked. And he told the soldier, you know, you just wait your turn. And the soldier's like, dude, I've lost an arm. I need your help. Jesus yeah. Christ. I, I guess propeller chopped his arm off. That'll do it. Dude yep. ignored him and the kid drowned. Oh. Or succumbed to the injury. And no. that led Violet to basically have a lifelong grudge against this asshat who refused to help the guy in the Yeah. Water. I can't blame her. Um, now, luckily, because after the Titanic, White Star was like, oops, are bad. So they, they did a lot of redesigns on their ships oops, to make them. are bad. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's make them safe. Let's reinforce the hulls. Let's make sure there's enough lifeboats. Yeah. So only 30 people died, which is, you know, it's still awful, but, you know, apples to apples, True. they did try to make the changes. And I think a lot of the people who died were killed by those propellers. Right. Yeesh. Um, She did marry a man named John James Lewis in 1923, but the marriage was short-lived and she would describe it as, quote, brief and disastrous. <laughs> her remaining bless her heart yeah yeah i mean there's it's just it was very short uh her remaining years at sea were uneventful and she retired to suffolk england in 1950 where she bought a small cottage and raised chickens until she died from congestive heart failure in 1971 oh chickens chickens yes she was buried in the nearby village of hartist next to her sister and brother-in-law the inscription on her headstone reads quote Violet Constance Jessup, beloved sister, who died 5th May 1971 in her 84th year, fortified by the rites of Holy Mother Church, 
on her soul, sweet Jesus have mercy. Oh, and sadly, it doesn't appear that there's a Sheena in this village because looking at this headstone, you can't understand anything. It's it's oh, very no. hard to read. It's in desperate need of cleaning. Yeah. And it's just, as you mentioned with your story, Sheena, there's no mention of the fact that this, this beast of a woman survived yeah. these two. I mean, three, apparently she doesn't even mention the first uh, incident in her uh memoirs because i mean it didn't sink and no one died so i guess that's not really that important (laughs) yeah Um, but it's still but yeah you know there's memorials to titanic victims and all of these other things but this this badass woman who um survived multiple traumatic sinkings yeah and honestly i feel like the uh britannic was the one that really impacted her the most yeah for Uh, sure because i i cannot imagine seeing uh uh-uh. seeing what she saw but i knew she survived several shipwrecks but i don't guess i realized that last one yeah that that was yeah, yeah it was yeah that one was Jeez. the one that seemed to because again she was in the water as opposed to being put in the yeah boat, so but yes wow. that is the, and she's gorgeous too the picture yeah I have she of is her, she's beautiful yeah she is so yeah that's uh the unsinkable violet jessup literally yes love it all right all right hannah okay do your damage i am my roundup okay so i admitted off mic to the girls that like titanic is not my ministry (laughs) (laughs) so i was like struggling to find something that i connected with i was gonna do this um the uh what is it strauss's yeah strauss's yeah the macy's founder yeah and um they're pretty well known. They're pretty awesome folks. You should definitely like look them up. So I decided Chicagoans that were on the Titanic. Heck yeah. So um, of the people on board, 73 had listed Chicago as their destination. And of those 73, six were residents of Chicago. So we have Anne Eliza Isham, Ida Hypack, and her daughter Jean Hypack, Nils Johansson. Arnelia Lamore and Mr. Irvin Louie. So we're going to talk about them. Awesome. Um, and I, my source for this is this great uh, website called Classic Chicago Magazine. So oh, shout cool. out to them. Um, so Anna Eliza Isham was born in Chicago in 1862. Um, her father, Edward Isham, had established a law firm with Robert Todd Lincoln. No, oh, okay. God. That's that random. Was- <laughs> that was in existence until 1988. What? Jesus wow, that's yeah. wild. Um, she was uh, admitted to the church, the Presbyterian Church, um, in 1883, one day before her 21st birthday. She was the second president of the Women's Board of Northwestern Hospital from 1899 to 1901, and the only president in the history of the Women's Board to hold the title miss so she was unmarried <laughs> doing this good shit. for her <laughs> and she's a stern stern looking woman but i love that for her yeah me too in 1912 Anne, who was 50 at the time had been living in europe with her sister francis um she boarded the titanic as a first class passenger and she was going to go to new york to spend the summer with her brother edward oh. um Anne was one of four first-class women who died in the disaster, and her body was never recovered. 
Her family erected a memorial to her in Vermont. It was never proven, but there is a story that she was traveling with her dog, a Great Dane. She jumped out of a lifeboat to join him as she was not able to leave him behind. Same, Anne. Same. Um, Arnelia Lamore was 39 and a second-class passenger who boarded the Titanic in Southampton. She was a seamstress by trade and listed as a buttonhole machinist. Now, because I am a gremlin, when I first read that, I thought it said (laughs) butthole machinist. And I was like, eh? Arnelia? Girl! What's in this story? What you doing? Also, can I just say, she has a great name. Arnelia Lamore? That's a great name. So great. Though she was married, she was estranged from her husband at the time, and she was returning to Chicago from a visit to her parents in England. Um, and she was rooming in a second-class cabin with three other English women. Uh, she survived by being on lifeboat number 14. So she was just a little bit before Violet. Violet, yeah. yeah. So um, her destination address was on Austin Avenue in Chicago. Um she became an optometrist assistant and made several return hmm. trips to visit her parents in England. Um, she lived in Chicago until about 1940 when she returned to London and she died May 15th, 1950 at the age of 84. Oh man. Yeah. So now we have Nils Johansson, who, as you might've guessed, was born in Sweden. <laughs> uh, he was 30 years old and he was a third class passenger on the Titanic and he had immigrated to the United States from Sweden somewhere around 1900. They're not sure. Nobody knew back in the day. Yeah. Um, he worked as a machine smith in Chicago. And he was going to Sweden to bring his 23-year-old fiance Olga Lunden, back to <laughs> Chicago with him. Olga. What a cute name. Olga Lunden. <laughs> so cute. Their destination was the home of his uncle, Oscar Benson, on Ashland Avenue, which is just a few blocks from where I currently live. Oh, cool. Um, So I live in Andersonville, which is very, very Swedish. So the fact that he was just from around the corner does not surprise me. That's cool. Unfortunately, Nils did not survive. And his last words to Olga as he put her in one of the lifeboats were, send my regards to father and mother. Oh. I know. His body was never recovered. Olga survived and became a cook living in Connecticut. Irvin Louie was 31. Irvin Louie was kind of hot. I'm just (laughs) going to let you know. Just going to let you know. Um, He was 31. He was the treasurer of Louis Brothers Jewelers, which still exists. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it does. (laughs) One of four brothers who succeeded their father, but not Louis, in the jewelry business. Louis Brothers Jewelers was located on State and Adams back in 1912 when it first opened its doors as Louis the Jeweler. (laughs) In 1860, it was located on West in Van Buren, which is also not far from where I am now. Um, He had set out on January 15th to Amsterdam on a diamond purchasing trip, which (laughs) that's the life. Yeah. Amsterdam was the world center for the diamond and polishing trade at the time. Uh, mainly due to the discovery of diamonds in South Africa in 1867. That's, whoop. listen to Behind the Bastards about that. That's a whole mm. thing. Irvin was scheduled to return on a ship called the Rotterdam a week earlier. However, due to a rather unsuccessful buying trip, he decided to stay another week. 
His last communication to his family was through a telegraph to his brother that he was on his way home aboard the Titanic. Sadly, he did not survive and his body was never identified or recovered. During his last week, he spent some time in Paris and purchased a sapphire ring from Cartier for his grandmother. The ring arrived by mail to his family a few days after his death. His grandfather reset the stone and surrounded it with diamond baguettes for his wife. Irvin was unmarried and lived with his sister, Frida Oppenheimer, on South Park Avenue in Chicago. His company survived another 10 years after his death, ultimately declaring bankruptcy in 1925. Um, So I guess the Louis brothers that's still around must be something different. Or they revived the name. But the ring that eventually is made from the stone he sent is beautiful, and we will post pictures. Cool. Um, so now we have Ida Hipak and her daughter, Jean, who were traveling home to Chicago after vacationing in Europe. Um, they had vacation from January to April, which ain't that the life. Yeah, really. <laughs> Ida was <laughs> 40. be nice. So, yeah. Right. I want... That's back. That's like how fashion lines still have like the resort collection because rich people would just ghost for three months out of the year. Yeah. <laughs> like, can I do that? Shit. Yeah. Ida was 44. Jean was 17. And they were first class passengers. Um, The husband and father, Louis Hippock, was the co-owner of plate glass dealers, Tyler and Hippock in Chicago. Um, this company was founded in 1886 and was sold in 1963 <laughs> to Globe Glass and Trim. Uh, Chicago keeps businesses for a while. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Originally a family of four children, they had actually um, suffered a tragedy in 1903 at the Iroquois Theater. Oh, no. No. When, yes. Are you kidding me? I shit you not. <laughs> When the two oldest boys, age 14 and 12, had gone to the performance and died in the fire. Yeah, so they're unwilling members of history. Yeah, for sure. When the Titanic struck the iceberg, Ida and Jean decided to dress and go up to the deck. They saw people being put into lifeboats, but initially didn't think it was serious. After John Jacob Astor... Um, who we have discussed, put his wife in the lifeboat. He urged Ida and Jean to do, to join her in lifeboat number four. Mm. They credit him with saving their lives that day. Oh, wow. When the Carpathia arrived in New York, they were let um, met by Papa Lewis and the family's youngest son, Howard, who did not apparently go to the theater that day. Um, they returned to Chicago on April 21st on the 20th Century Limited, which I think it was a plane. Or not a plane. Jesus Christ. A train. It (laughs) rhymes. Leave me alone. Sadly, because this family cannot catch a fucking break. No. Yes. Tragedy tragedy struck again in October of 1914 when Howard was killed in an auto accident. Look, I'm giving Jean a little bit of side eye (laughs) because she's the last one standing. Yeah. Jean went on to marry and li- and uh, raised three kids living in Lake Forest, which is just outside of Chicago, and in Massachusetts. She is buried at Rose Hill, which oh, cool. is not far from where I live and where my new apartment's going to be. Um, Ida and her husband moved to Evanston. 
So Ida, mom, um, after his death in 1935, she lived with Jean until her death on September 22nd, 1940. And she is also buried in Rose Hill. So Chicagoans. And again, Jean, girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> last one standing. I don't know if maybe it's because she was a girl. So she wasn't out gallivanting as much yeah. as her brothers were but imagine you lose your kids in the iroquois fire which yeah. was god awful you and your daughter survived the titanic and then you lose the youngest in a fucking car accident god worst luck wild. ever yeah for fuck's sake wow so Good job hannah that chicagoans cool. <laughs> they're a tough tough crowd they yeah. are and i like how they're all kind of around you like <laughs> yeah especially that was when i saw that they were on his uncle was on ashland i was like yeah, yeah. and uh, i mean because andersonville if you can't tell by the name very aggressively swedish area i mean that's where when they immigrated here a lot of the swedish hung out so yeah i love it man some harrowing stories right it's not all just getting it on in a car no leo which is based on john astor's car yes it is i (laughs) I hope they fucked in john astor's car (laughs) i hope they did though have you seen the meme of like like did they serve lobster on the titanic because you know when the when it sank the lobsters were like fuck yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're free bitches i have not I will say my new favorite meme. There's a, I, I don't know who, why anyone would do this, but there's like this little crawfish and it's sitting there and someone's holding up a mic to it. Like it's a news mic uh-huh. <laughs> and, and it says, and the, the little crawfish says, and that's when I said, hold up, this ain't no hot tub. <laughs> I love it, it. Me every time I see it anyway. Good job, ladies. Yeah. We, we covered the Titanic. It's coming up on the 111th-ish yes. anniversary. And uh, yeah, so that was fun. Um, God bless those people who who died on it. And God bless yeah. those people who were the real heroes yeah. in that. Because, woo, Lord. Yeah. Um, We did not pick a topic for next week before we started <laughs> recording. Um, we will, though. We will at some You'll point. You'll find out next episode. <laughs> yes, You'll you find will. out when we find out. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Um, so I don't know what we're going to do for the next one. But hey, Luhu, if people want to find us, where can they find us? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod. Or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, so send us an email, leave us a review, please. That would be very kind of you, especially if it's nice. If yes. it's not nice, only if it's nice. Just name another podcast and or like, keep oh, your is- opinion to yourself. Right, literally, go listen listening? to the thousands of other free podcasts that are out there for you to listen to. Also, didn't your mama teach you if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all? <laughs> and and my famous last words: get off our dicks. <laughs> And with that, we're calling it an episode. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Bye.